Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 257. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year, everybody. This is the last episode of 2020 as we say goodbye to the dumpster fire that has been this year. I hope everyone has had a lovely holiday season, Hanukkah and Christmas and so forth. Hope you're all doing well, relaxing enjoying uh, your time, even if you're not enjoying your families right now. And you know what? If you don't really like your families all that much, I hope you're appreciating what 2020 has brought you. Christmas was lovely for me. I especially liked the part where the reindeers hung around and sung a song, and then we all had breakfast together and played reindeer games. And uh, I I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good at that thing where you lock horns with the uh, with the deer, which is weird because I don't have any horns. Okay, I, I can't fool you guys. I'm actually recording this before Christmas, so uh, I, I I don't know. Maybe I had a terrible Christmas. Don't know, but hopefully it was good. Hopefully you guys' Christmas was good, and I hope that your new year is even better. Because let's face it, 2021 here I'll jinx it for you. It can't be worse than 2020. 
So there you go. Just a little bit of business before we get on to the meat of this last 2020 episode. I got a comment from Sean on the Patreon. He of Autobiography of a Schnuck and one of the hosts of Pie Factory. Regarding Toy Trouble, the game I played on last week's episode, sort of a, a very much beloved holiday-themed Atari game, uh, homebrew for the Atari. I finally got around to playing it last week. Love that game. It's awesome. I'm really sorry I waited this long to play it. Regarding that game, Sean wrote, I played this tonight after work. Every year around this time, I make an attempt to finish the game. In the past 13 years I've had it, I've managed to finish it twice. The music, by the way, is original, even though it sounds kind of like either Here Comes Santa Claus or the verse of Jingle Bells. John Payson came up with his own music to avoid potential copyright issues, which makes sense. As I'm reading this, I'm hearing the music in my head from the game, but not exactly. Uh, I do remember in the episode making a big deal of how, you know, has a nice beat, you can dance to it. My kid, Henry, my occasional co-host, was less than impressed. Um, When I asked him what he didn't like about the game, that was the thing he's pointed to specifically. But I thought it worked. It was put you in the mind of holidays without being a specific holiday song, obviously for these reasons, right? The copyright issues. So I think the music works. I appreciate Sean's insight into it. He was also separately was nice enough to uh, reach out to me in a message sort of whispering in my ear saying, hey, by the way, you can make your guy run if you press the button on the uh, on the joystick because I was just moving the joystick when I was playing and your guy can get where he's going, but not very fast. So he pointed out to me that if I just pushed the button, that'd make him run. So uh, I have not gone back and tried that as I'm recording this, but I hope to maybe on Christmas Day when it happens for me. One of the nice things about being a podcaster is I'm putting out this episode for you and uh, uh, this post-holiday episode, post-Christmas episode for you. And you're all sad because the Christmas is over. You wait all year for Christmas and it's over. But for me, (laughs) it hasn't happened yet. Sorry, that was mean. That was not in the Christmas spirit. I really hope Santa has already, uh, you know, put my presents on on the sleigh. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, Toy Shop Trouble. Thanks for the comment, Sean. Everybody who has not played Toy Shop Trouble, go play it. Everyone who has played, go play it some more. His comment does make me wonder, is there an end to the game? When I played it for the show, I, I didn't have the manual or anything. I have since received my order from Atari Age with the cartridge and a manual in it, but I haven't really gone in and read the manual in any detail. I assume it tells me in there how many levels there are and so forth. But as things stand, I have gotten to the rocket ships. And no farther. But that's with only a a very limited amount of time playing it. So I realize that's probably like 48 levels before the end. But I didn't play it very much. So I will go back and and fix that situation. Well, you know, happy holidays, Sean. Thanks for the comment. Happy holidays uh, to everyone else listening. I've said that already. I'll probably say it some more. Because especially in a year like this, it needs saying a lot. All right. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is the No Dame Game. From me, 2020. It's our last episode of 2020. And those of you who have been listening to the show for a while know what that means is... uh, Also, if you listened to last week's episode, you know what that means. It means we're not going to play a game this week. I didn't write a story this week. I took the week off from writing a story. Instead, every year, I pick out a movie that inspired one of the games that I've done this year. And this year, if you remember for the Halloween episode, I played a game called The Earth Dies Screaming, which is how I think you're contractually obligated to say that name, which was basically a space shooter 
you're flying around your spaceship shooting satellites and whatnot, or, or trying to protect satellites or something. I don't exactly remember, but it's a, it's a space game. But in the half-assed research that I do for these shows, I learned that it was inspired, in quotes, in part by a movie from 1964 called The Earth Dies Screaming. Why? Well, that's a good question, and we'll get into that more after this promo spot. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast. All about life lessons, growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K, podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. As I said, back in episode 248, uh, I played the 1983 Atari game, The Earth Dies Screaming, and what you learn is, once you watch the movie, that the title, that other than the title, the game and the movie have very little in common. The movie is about a handful of survivors of an alien gas attack, which is a prelude to a robotic invasion in rural England led by a handsome American test pilot. The survivors try to fight off the robots before the they uh, before the robot foot soldiers can destroy them. The game is about blowing up satellites in space. The movie has some screaming. The game, not so much. Here's a trailer to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Suddenly, a man dies at the controls of a train. Suddenly, a car swerves to destruction. Suddenly, a plane dives to death. The Earth dies screaming. Suddenly, death descends on the four corners of the Earth, and only a handful of human beings survive to live in fear, powerless to combat an unknown terror. Turn it off. Who are you? By the way, I'm not the enemy. I don't know who the enemy is. The Earth dies screaming and the robots take over. Starring Willard Parker, Virginia Field, Dennis Price, You said that she was dead. She was. She was alive enough tonight. Except her eyes. Well, what was the matter with them? She hasn't got any eyes. Here is paralyzing suspense as the Earth dies screaming. Electrifying terror as the Earth dies screaming. Jeff! Peggy! Peggy! 
The robots. What? Maggie! The film was directed by Terence Fisher and starred Willard Parker, although in the tr- promo I think they refer to him as Willard Parker, Virginia Field, and Dennis Price. It was written by Harry Spaulding under the name Henry Cross. I'd be curious to know why he changed his name for this movie, but uh, there you go. The music was by Elizabeth uh, Lutens, cinematography by Arthur Lavis, produced by Lippert Films and distributed by 20th Century Fox. Released on October 14, 1964, it has a runtime of 62 minutes. This thing clips right along, uh, which is great when you're a reviewer for a podcast and you discover, yes, this movie's only an hour long. Produced in the UK, in English, in case you're wondering. So as I said, the movie starts off with a gas attack followed by robot killers who are bulletproof, stalking the streets, and they can kill you just by touching you. I won't give any more of the plot away because we'll get into that later. Writer Harry Spaulding, a.k.a. Henry Cross, said that the title, The Earth Dies Screaming, came up as a joke that just sort of stuck, and that he personally, Harry Spaulding, a.k.a. Henry Cross, hated the title. The film is shot in black and white at Shepperton Studios in London. Location filming was done in the village of Shear in Surrey, one of several 1960s British horror films to be scored by the avant-garde Elizabeth Lutons, whose father, Edwin Lutons, designed Manor House Lodge in Shear, a small property which features prominently at several points in the film. Isn't that convenient? Wheeler Winston Dixon, which might be the best name ever, wrote about the film's use of silence. Quote, It's remarkable to note that in a 62-minute film, the first five to six minutes have conveyed Fisher's vision of the end of civilization entirely through a dispassionate series of images. Much of the film involving the pursuit of the living by the dead is done entirely through gesture. I agree. We'll get into this. I'm really eager for you to hear my discussion of how this movie plays out. The opening is really good. Peter Dendel in The Zombie Movie, uh, Zombie Movie Encyclopedia cited the film as, quote, an obvious precursor to Night of the Living Dead. TV Guide gave the movie two out of five stars, says that a film with the title The Earth Dies Screaming deserves a lot better. There's the basis here for a strong and atmospheric science fiction film, but all concerned dropped the ball and failed to deliver the goods. The film only runs for a mere 62 minutes, but feels like twice that. Rotten Tomatoes gave the film a 30% rating, but in case you're feeling bad about this, keep in mind, UB40 did a song with the same title, The Earth Dies Screaming, although it seems to have nothing to do with the movie. As far as I can tell from the video, the earth dies because people sit around a lot looking mopey, unmoved even by extensive saxophone solos. Sometimes they're eating, sometimes they're ironing shirts, but that's about it, and that's a thing that exists. So there's that. All those reviews are fine. But what do I think of this movie? Well, after the break, since uh, I, I doubt that you really care what I think of this movie, I suckered a guest into joining me to talk about this movie. Dave Champa, one of the hosts of the podcast, Champa and Klein, The Night Rider Years, will be here to talk about this movie. Yeah, he even knew that's what we we're going to talk about before he agreed to come on the show, even though there are no talking cars in the movie. Sorry about that, Dave. Uh, you know, spoilers. Before I spoiled anything else, why don't we just take a little break here, and then you'll hear my conversation with Dave Champa about the 1964 movie, The Earth Dies Screaming. everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. 
Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned devilish breakfast food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. So, like I said before the break, uh, I'm here with Dave Champa from Champa and Klein, the Night Rider years. He's one of the hosts over there. Klein, I guess, would be the other host uh, of, the, uh, of the podcast. What, uh, what's the Night Rider years uh, for anybody who doesn't know? Uh, okay, so the Night Rider years is a weekly podcast that Greg and I do uh, where we... I hesitate to use the word. Well, we do. We dissect them, but most of the time we just we go off on tangents. But we talk about each episode week to week, and we are actually um, currently we're getting ready to wrap the final the final season. We're we're almost done. We're about five or six weeks away from wrapping up the final season of Knight Rider, and uh, boy, it has been a treat to watch this final season it's uh it's it's been a, it's been an unbelievable ride <laughs> to watch how terrible and how far that show has fallen from from the I, graces of the first season and a half i can attest to that i've been watching along with the podcast and uh yeah it's been something um as this episode is going out the end of december you're probably about done uh i'm guessing pretty close yeah actually you know what this so this is out the end of december with we yeah. might have i think the last episode the series finale will be out the last Sunday in December. So we'll be just about wrapped by the time this comes out. So is that it? Do you pack up your suitcase and walk off into the podcasting sunset or? Oh, no, 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 (laughs) no, 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 no. We are, we are fully planning to move ahead with another 80 show. We have chosen it and we will be moving in in January into the 1980s classic Airwolf with yep. Ernest Borgnine and Jan Michael Vincent. And we Sweet. are really looking forward to jumping into that. It's, it's something, it's a show that neither of us have any knowledge of whatsoever. Because at least with when we did MacGyver and currently doing Knight Rider, we had knowledge of like what the show was about. Like this show, we are going in completely blind. We just, we wanted something that would completely kind of give us a complete 180 on what we were going to be watching. And from what I understand it, it is a vast departure from the first two shows that we've covered on the, on the podcast. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I also know nothing about the show. So uh, that'll be an adventure for me. And this is a good time for people to jump on uh, with, uh, with your show uh, since you'll be starting the new, the new one in the, in the winter. So yeah, 
Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we, uh, we just got the theme song. We had a, a, oh. good, a, a good buddy of mine actually reached out to me a couple weeks ago, and he asked if, I would be, if, he'd be, if he was okay. If, he's like, would you be okay if I composed your theme song, if you would just kind of put my name out there for other people? And I mean, of course, I'm not going to say no. I have no compositional skills whatsoever. So he, he crafted this beautifully 80s synthesized theme song with clips from the show and I, it just, it's getting me more pumped to jump into Airwolf when we started up in January. <laughs> well, the theme song is critical. So Absolutely. Once, once you've got that, then that's pretty much, that's half the work right there. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. 100%. That's great. Well, I, Dave, I didn't invite you here, unfortunately, to talk about Knight Rider or Airwolf or, or <laughs> 80s television. I've gotten in the habit every year on Atari Bytes. Uh, at the end of the year, I don't write a story. I don't talk about an Atari game. I pick a movie that inspired one of the games that I played during the year. And, and this year, I, I played a game called The Earth Dies Screaming, which is inspired by a 1964 science fiction movie called The Earth Dies Screaming. So mm-hmm. I decided to watch that movie for the last episode. This, sort of, this episode is out you know, right after Christmas. Everyone's kind of relaxing. Let's watch a movie. I'll see what's, what's up with it. So I invite you here to talk about this, uh, this thing. This uh, 1964 movie. I'll ask you a couple sort of uh, top line overview questions, uh, and then we can kind of get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is a 1964 bad sci-fi British on top of that movie. Is this a genre of film that you normally would would appeal to you? So I am a huge sci-fi fantasy fan. I'm a huge horror movie fan. Um, I, I will say that I'm not I'm not familiar with this era of film like the 50s and 60s you know i've seen a few of them i you know the classics are out there you know I, i'm thinking specifically of like you know the, the thing from another planet i think that was late 50s early 60s uh house on haunted hill you know I'm, I'm familiar with the ones that people really know about but like movies like this i never would have known existed had you not reached out and kind of asked to be a part of the show and um I'm 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 really glad you did because this is this was in my opinion this this is a this is a little gem gem of a film i gotta tell you i can't i can't decide if it is or not uh, and we'll kind of work through that i guess as we talk about absolutely it. i'm not an expert on this uh, era of film either the ones you mentioned I, i'm familiar with those and but i am a, a classic doctor who fan yep which started in 1963 and notoriously has bad special effects and black and white and all that so from that aspect i was very much at home with this movie. Mm -hmm. The robots in the movie even look like uh, the Cybermen from Doctor Who. So uh, from that era of Doctor Who. So I was, I was at home with all of that. As far as the movie itself, you said you think it's kind of a gem. Um, Boy, I can't decide. So we'll kind of work through it and, and we'll see where I come out at the end, I guess. So the movie opens, I think it opens really strong. I really like how this movie opens. Absolutely. It was, We, we jump right in to the middle of whatever's going on on the earth. We see cars crashing, people collapsing in the streets. Um, there's a nice uh, train wreck. I mean, it's kind of cheesy. It's bad special effects, but there's a train wreck, a plane crash, right. all of that. Really strong opening, uh, I thought. I, I take it you thought the same. You like how this movie started. I did. I did. My, my first note, actually, as I was watching the movie was just that, that that whole opening sequence and i think it's i think it's almost eight and a half minutes uh you know the the, the, the dead bodies the crashes the, just the, the all you hear is the music and the sound and, and i think it's just really really well done to kind of establish uh where we're kind of going with this movie and again you know you had mentioned this to me too and i you know as i'm watching the movie you know this movie really 
took its time to to kind of talk about and kind of get out what it needed to get out, despite the fact that the movie was only sixty two minutes long. It, yeah. it didn't. It, it it moved at such a nice clip, but it got it said what it needed to be said and it didn't feel like it overstayed at any point over the course of the movie. And I thought it was just this, this opening sequence really kind of pulled me right in. I, I was, I was, I loved it. I was very excited when I saw this opening. I thought, okay, we're, we're in for something here. I will say, I guess telegraphing what I'm probably going to say at the end of the, the uh, conversation, ah, boy, I kept trying to figure out how to describe this. I think this is almost a movie. Um, it is only 62 yeah. minutes long, which, which struck me, too. I thought, wow, because I didn't know that until I sat down to watch it. Uh, and I saw that, wow, 62 minutes. I feel it feels like a first draft of a movie to me. Yes. Henry, I think the guy's name was Henry Cross. Uh, by the way, the opening titles, I was kind of reading the names. I didn't recognize any of the names. Uh, nope. I didn't recognize the director, the writer, the actors. Uh, that's not a knock on anybody. I just didn't, I didn't recognize any names. No, uh, I don't know well. what else Henry Cross has done. This might have been his life's work. I don't know. But, <laughs> boy, I just felt like you got a really good first draft here. But yeah, uh, maybe a couple more drafts, uh, whatever. But I like yeah. how it opens. I like the music. I like all of that. So we, we have that great opening. And then we have, uh, we see our hero, right? We see our protagonist, uh, who we find out is named Jeff yes. Nolan. Uh, he rolls up. Yep. Uh, in, in this little British town. Do we ever find out what the name of the town is? I don't think we do. The, the only reference we get is when they meet up with some people a little bit, a few minutes later, he talks about coming down from Liverpool. So we kind of yeah. get an idea geographically of where it is, but I don't think yep. they ever named the town. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's a, an unnamed little British village somewhere. He rolls up in his truck. He's clearly the hero. He's got the square jaw and he's got the determined look and uh, he pulls into town. He immediately steals a radio from a store. Yep. Uh, at this point, we don't quite know what's going on or who this guy is, but he goes and finds a radio. What does he do? I guess he sees the car with the two people in, in the front seat. Yes. Uh, yeah. he, and he very specifically goes and looks at them. And they're in formal mm-hmm. wear. They clearly were out the night before, and they appear to be dead. And he, I guess he decides yep. they're dead. He just leaves them there. And then what does he do? He goes immediately to the hotel, right? Then he goes into the yeah. Then he goes into the hotel, and when he comes back out after a few minutes, the two people that were in that car are now gone. That's exactly right. So, yeah. is that before or after he meets Quinn? So it's it's I think it's right around this same moment because this whole scene is building up to this because you've got at this up to this point you have absolutely no dialogue. There's nothing has been yep. spoken. It's eight and a half minutes of silence. You just hear the music and the footsteps and walking around. And it's right around this moment. I don't know exactly when Quinn comes in, but I'm, I, now, of course, I watched this two hours ago and I still can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember if Quinn came in after the people had come out of the store or before they came out of the store. I'm looking at my notes in. here. I think it was before. Um, I think he, go, okay. he sees them in the car and they're dead. He goes into the hotel. Yep. He, I, it's not funny, but it kind of made me laugh because he goes behind the, the desk and he drags the clerk. That's right. The clerk out of the room, which I thought was odd because he hasn't bothered with any of the other dead people. But maybe he <laughs> yes. just didn't want to be sitting there with his drink looking at a dead guy at the desk. Right. I don't know. But he drags the clerk off somewhere in the other room, sets yeah. up his, his radio. <laughs> he tries to watch some TV uh, so that we can see. That's uh, right. Probably more for the audience <laughs> that there's nothing on t- the TV, no TV reception. Whatever is happening right. is, is bigger than what's just in this little town, apparently. I guess that's what they're trying to tell us. So Exactly. 
I did think yeah. I did think that was one of the problems that I had with the movie. It's called The Earth Dies Screaming, but I don't know if we quite mm-hmm. get the yeah. the scope. Uh, they mentioned it a couple of times about how uh, what the one character we're going to meet in a minute, uh, Vi, keeps saying, "Well, this is just happening here, right? It, it, this isn't happening everywhere." Until they finally convince her that it is, but I don't know if the audience, me, we're really convinced that this is a global thing, you know, but uh, you're showing us the TV reception, that kind of thing. Uh, the, the lack of TV reception, I, I think probably helps with that. At this point, we meet Quinn, Quinn and Peggy walk into the room. Quinn immediately pulls, pulls a gun. Yep. Uh, that's kind of his thing in this movie. He, he pulls guns on people. Although the actor never really, the actor never really looks comfortable holding the gun to me. It just looks a little no. awkward in his hand. I, I I don't know what the story is there. But what's your take on Quinn and Peggy? Because I have I have thoughts, but I'm wondering he, what you think of these two. It's like at one point I, mean, I remember him. So you know I liked. I think I I wasn't sure how their chemistry was really going to work throughout the course of the movie. There, it's they they you know they they introduce themselves as as Peggy and Quinn as this married couple mm-hmm. um, at the very beginning of the at the very beginning of the movie when we first meet them. And you can tell, obviously, that there's something very strained about their relationship. Mm-hmm. But really good first draft attempt at relationship. Um, For the people listening, I'm going to do some uh, magical editing here. So hopefully this works out smoothly. But we were talking yes. about Quinn and Peggy. And I was asking uh, you, Dave, what you thought of these two. Yeah. And so, yeah, as I was saying, I, I liked, it's interesting because I like them both separately. I just thinking them together. And obviously like when we find out a little bit later in the, in the movie, like what the story is as loose as that story is, you know, I never really bought the relationship or overall, but I, you know, I liked, I really liked Peggy, but again, Quinn was really kind of hard to follow throughout the course of the movie. It wasn't a big fan of him at all. No. So do, do we think, that these two actually knew each other before this invasion or whatever it is. Uh, Cause I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. See, I was, it's funny you said, cause I was trying to figure that out. I'm like, did they, did, did they actually know each other prior to when we meet them? And uh, you know, and I, I feel like it's almost like a kidnapping scenario where well, you, yeah. know, you get the sense that Quinn, Quinn took her from somewhere but you never really know where. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of got the sense, even though it wasn't fully explained, that I don't think they knew each I really don't know if they knew each other prior to this prior to this moment. Well, supposedly, and we find out later, that Peggy had been in an oxygen tent. Yes. Invasion she looks really good. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, for someone who, who apparently was in an oxygen <laughs> tent, literally, <laughs> until the day before uh, we meet her. But, but yeah, he he's, keeps pulling a gun on her and, and threatening her. You know that he's going to kill everybody if she doesn't do what he says. Right. So I get I'm. They must have had some sort of relationship prior. But he, I like that at least at the start we don't know exactly know what that relationship is. But I don't right. like that we never really find out what it was. You know. There's yeah. No, no. There's no it's, scene where Peggy. You no, know, it's. Yeah, go ahead. Right. No, I was going to say it's interesting. Like you were just saying, like we never really get to see that full relationship, but they keep. 
they keep introducing all these characters over the course of the movie because we have, you know, we have Quinn and Peggy and then we have another couple that shows up and then we have, you know, we have Jeff that shows up and then another guy who shows. So we have all these characters that they're cramming into this 60 minute movie, but you never really get the time to spend with any of them to really kind of figure out and find out like who they all are. And I think that was the most frustrating part for me. I could have seen maybe another 25 minutes of the movie, you know, an hour and a half could have been nice just, just to kind of flesh those characters out. But yeah, I I agree with you though. Like you just, there's not enough time to really kind of invest in any of these characters. Yeah. We do find out a little bit, for example, uh, right after Quinn comes in, they're kind of introducing themselves. We do find out that Jeff Nolan is a, a, a test pilot. Yep. And he had been experimenting on a vertical rising jet, which sounds mm-hmm. really cool. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's not a thing we have now, is it? I don't know anything about planes, but I, I, I know nothing. Yeah, no. <laughs> so we find he's an American. I guess we didn't say this earlier. He's an American. Everybody else is British in the movie. And he, but he was in London testing out an ex- experimental plane of some sort. He went up in the air yep. in his plane. Everything's cool. He comes back down. I don't know how much later, and everybody's dead. Yeah, uh, he tells us. Yeah. Quinn and Peggy, Peggy, like I said, was in an oxygen tent. Apparently, right. uh, I don't know. Did Quinn say what he was doing? So that's the thing is we were just talking about that too. Like they, you know, they Peggy talks about being in the oxygen tent, but I'm not sure we ever got a story as to where where Quinn was during this. You know, because this. this whatever they refer to it as a few minutes later they they all deduced that it may have been this potentially um this this gas attack that had hit hit the city but we i don't think we ever find out where quinn was specifically yeah because they make a point with all the characters of figuring out okay where were you when this happened and they were all in some sort of scenario where they were protected from whatever this gas was right Um, peggy in her tent nolan up in his plane uh, we're going to meet other characters later who had a similar uh, situation. But yeah, we, what's Quinn's deal? So, which made me think as, as I was watching it, like, oh, okay, he's working with the aliens or something. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, that never really pans out. Maybe it, maybe it is true, but we never find out. So right. that was disappointing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that one. Um, now I have a, I had a question uh, yeah. now this, this next moment. So we have now, have we introduced Violet yet? Cause she comes, she comes in to play in the next scene in the, up, in, in the, in the episode. It's I think not we're about, day. I think we're about to. Um, okay. I mean, first, before that happens, Peggy immediately gives up that they're not married. Her and Quinn oh, yeah. are married. So I yeah. didn't really understand what the point of even introducing this deception. If immediately he's going <laughs> right. to say, no, we're not married. So, <laughs> Okay, I'm looking at my notes here. Nolan explains that uh, he went up in his plane, he came back down, everybody's dead. He drove, he's, he's been driving for 12 hours looking for survivors, apparently. Oh, geez, okay. Okay, now we, he goes back outside. I don't remember why he goes outside, but he goes back out. He sees that the car is empty. Yes. That the two dead people were in. Right. Uh, and now we're going to meet, I guess it's Edgar and Violet, I think. Um, was it Edgar? Yeah, I think it, okay. Ed, that's Ed, right. Well, they, they always call them by last names. In my notes, I, I seem to write a lot of first names, but they always refer to him. I think his last name was like Otis. That's it, right. Edgar Otis. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so Otis and Violet, they're dressed in formal wear. They clearly were out the night before. And Nolan is, is shocked because he's like, I thought you were dead. And they uh, and clearly they're not. So they take him right. back to the hotel. They were explained that they were at the, the Shimtex Limited. 25th anniversary party 
Yes. And Violet permanently got plastered. And uh, so so they went to what? It, I guess it was Otis's lab so she could sleep it off or something. Yeah, that's what I got. Well, and I love I love Otis's character because he's basically drunk for the rest of the episode for the rest of the movie. Yeah. He, he's either either he's acting drunk through the scenes where he's not drinking or he's drinking heavily in every other scene that he's in. And I just I thought he was such an interesting character. He was yeah. really fun to watch. Yeah, and the, I mean these movies, all these characters, these are sort of the stock characters that you get in these movies. Oh um, yeah. And he's one of them. He's the guy who's drunk through the whole movie. Usually, the drunk guy ends up being the hero at the end. And I guess he does end up having some sort of heroic moments. But but yeah, so I like these two. Violet's worried because she doesn't have anything to wear. So right. I made a note of that. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, but the point is, they were they went back to uh, this guy's lab at the, uh, at the party. And Nolan decides, well, okay, you were sealed off in this lab. That's why the gas didn't affect you. Exactly. Exactly, yes. So now they're trying to figure out, well, how could it be a gas attack? And Nolan, I can see the writer sitting there. He's writing this. He's like, okay, it's a gas attack. And that's why everybody's dead. But, oh, crap, why aren't the people in the movie dead? And, oh, well, it rained really hard. And that made the gas uh, dissipate. (laughs) I love that explanation. Yeah, like, well, why why didn't the gas kill us? Well, I mean, it was pretty rainy the other day earlier. So probably just the rain just did the, it was, the gas was gone. That's all. Yeah. That's your answer, okay? <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. Why not? Doesn't doesn't matter. So Violet now is starting to freak out because she's realizing sort of the the enormity of what's going on. You know, she's she's upset. She's realizing that they're kind of cut off from everybody. She's like, I gotta get out of here. She runs back out. They've all gathered in the hotel. I don't know if yep. we said that earlier, but yep, she runs back outside and is th- this is where we see our our enemy, right? This is where we see this the is- robots. We get the first. We get our first yep. glimpse of the enemy. Yeah, from behind, they look kind of scary. Oh yeah, they look like actually they look like really tall dudes in like hazmat suits. So at first, I guess for a second you kind of think, well, maybe that's the army or something mm-hmm. coming through with uh, you know the hazmat gear and, and they're here to save everybody. Right. Um, but then one of them turns around and it's a, a cheesy early '60s bad sci-fi robot. I just I don't even know how to describe what that what that thing was under the under the domed helmet like it was I'm not even sure what it was god it looked it looked really it's, bizarre I don't know what kind of artists your kids are but it looked to me like what my kids would have drawn when they were 4 or 5 if you said draw a robot Yeah okay um, I could see that you know and I'd look at it and I'd say yeah I see it it's a robot so that's kind of what it looked like. Or for me, like I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a classic Doctor Who fan. Yep. So it looked exactly like something you would see in Doctor Who. Yeah, uh, yeah, so absolutely. I was cool with it. It was fun. So, yeah, they were good. And I loved, I loved this moment because when Violet first sees them in the window, she just starts screaming, oh, it's probably the Air Force. And she starts like sprinting out there. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, the way that they're walking outside, they've got these very stunted, stilted steps as they're walking up the pavement. And she's screaming, it's the Air Force. And Peggy, Peggy's in the window saying, oh, they look like space suits. I'm like, well, what have you been looking at if you think that these are space suits? Like, what yeah. is happening right now? And and then the moment when the you know Peggy turns around or Violet turns uh, goes up to the alien, turns it around, and then the alien just kind of does that one quick little touch of death uh, across Peggy uh, Violet's face. Yeah, and Violet just collapses on the ground, um, and she's well, and she's gone. 
<laughs> yep, she's gone. Quinn, Taggart, Nolan open fire on the robots because everybody has guns. Uh, oh, yeah. In the movie, or they're going to get guns. But right now, Taggart and Nolan are both armed, so they fire. Bullets have no effect. Right. Um, they go running after him, I think. Nolan at least does, maybe. Quinn tells, oh, okay. Quinn tells Peggy that they got to leave. They got to get out of here. Yeah. She says she's not going to go. And there's several scenes like this where Quinn is telling Peggy, you're going to do what I say. Yes. Uh, and that gets back to the whole idea. I don't know what this relationship is or what hold he has over her, um, you know, what the deal is. So that was yeah. kind of frustrating. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And so going back to the, the moment at the beginning when Jeff uh, picks up the bartender and brings him to the back room, he must have this thing about bringing people back to the hotel because he makes sure that they take Violet and they carry her back into the hotel like and they kind of like put her out behind the bar again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's, I guess that's the only set they could afford, you know? Probably. Yeah. And now we're going to meet, I guess, the last two characters. Yep. Car rolls up as all this is sort of winding down. And we immediately meet, we meet Mel and Lorna, I think. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think Mel immediately is all attitude. Uh, he's um, a, he's a dink. Excuse me. Like he just, I, oh man, he just rubbed me the wrong way. The second he gets yeah. out of that car, just I aggressively feel, goes after everyone. I feel bad for the actor, but he looked like a guy that I'd like to punch. Yes. <laughs> and I don't, I, it's not like I punch, I've, I, I don't punch people, but his attitude and just the look of this guy. I mean, if the guy was, if he's the nicest guy in the world and he was just doing this on screen, good for him. Cause right. I totally wanted to punch that guy. Oh man. For the second he got out of that car, I was just done with him. Yeah. And he's all like, Ted Nolan tells him to park his car over there. And he's like, oh, okay, sir. All this kind of stuff. Yeah, Lorna, of right. course, <laughs> is the total opposite. She's very sweet. She's also extremely pregnant. Yes. Uh, and we're going to find out that they were headed, were they? I think they were headed from London to Liverpool. Is that yes, right? What, yes, that's exactly right. Yep. Okay. We find out they've been married for a year or whatever. Uh, she is very obviously pregnant. And they, uh, they had been hiding in, we don't know why they left London. It, I get the impression they left in a hurry. Maybe they did explain it. I don't know. But I could, I wasn't I wasn't too focused on what was how they ended up there. Yeah, I, um, I don't I don't know if they really even said. But they spent the night no. in an air raid shelter, apparently. Right. Which is their reason for being safe because Nolan says, Oh, well, it's probably sealed off to prevent gas, so that's why you're still alive. They decide uh now, because they know these robots are running around, they gotta go get some guns. So they have real hall, which is like the armory or Yep, the, the regimental headquarters or whatever for whatever this town is. They go as a group, which I thought was weird. Yes. They do split up a little bit later. All, all of For them. this, they take everybody. <laughs> but weirdly... They wake up a little later. Yeah. I thought it was interesting in this drill hall. I, I got the sense, like, in, in my head, and I don't know why I thought of this, but I was thinking of a drill hall, more of like a... Because um, he does mention at one point that they only, they really used the drill hall recently for like town meetings and stuff i had it in my head it was a gymnasium so when they walk in to start like raiding it for weapons and i just see rifles lining the walls i was really confused for a couple minutes until i realized that it wasn't actually a gymnasium (laughs) i on the other hand because the guy says he does say that but i got from what i heard and what he was saying was that it was more like for ceremonial stuff so i was expecting a lot of flags and yes uh stuff that you would put on a parade float or something and and it's not really that either. It's really just yeah. a big building. And they do yeah. find some guns. They seem, I, 
Yeah. I get the impression they're a little disappointed because they mostly just find handguns. Not really what they're looking for, but they do get a couple of things. Each of the guys gets um, a pistol of some sort. I don't know anything about guns, but yeah, I, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to read my notes here. <laughs> oh, I guess then they go back to the hotel. My notes go jump back to the hotel later, and we find out a little bit more about Nolan. Um, yep. He explains that he was he works for this company, New England Aviation or something. I wrote it down with my what notes it, somewhere. I don't remember what it's what called. What does it say? What did it say on the truck? Because he's driving the truck, and I think it's says yeah. North North England. That's what it was. A- aviation. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. I wrote it. Uh, I can't find it. In my notes right now, but that's what it said on the truck. I originally had assumed he was some sort of military person, but I guess he works for this aviation company. But he was going to be assigned. He's about to be assigned to a desk job. Right. So he said he's getting too old. He's going to be uh, uh, getting too old to fly planes. Apparently. So we get a little bit of backstory for him again. Never really goes anywhere. Doesn't really have any effect on the movie, but uh, they do take a minute to give us that little detail about him. Yeah, um, absolutely. Nolan looks at his watch. He's like, "Well, I got to go take my turn uh, on on the watch." You know, they're guarding the hotel. Goes and finds uh, Otis drunk, uh, as <laughs> he, as you pointed out, as he frequently is in the movie. Yes, he starts to do what these kind of movies do: is you have the hero give a lecture to. Oh yeah, somebody else, and he's just—he's getting wound up to do that. He really only ends up saying a couple words about it. I was all set for a real lecture about you know, we got to stick together and we got to uh, we got to save the world, and he kind of does that, but it's a little muted for for what I was expecting. Right, Peggy and Nolan, in my notes, uh, tell me start flirting. Peggy's telling him some, telling Nolan how very sure of himself that he is, and that kind of thing. Yeah. What happens next? So I think I think the next part that I so my next note and I jumped around a lot just because I there were I found myself in moments really really kind of sucked into the movie. This this next yeah. scene and I think this is the one because you're saying that Jeff Jeff's going out on the night watch and so he's kind of standing outside and he sees um not Mel what's Mel's Lorna yeah. Lorna, go, Lorna goes into the kitchen to kind of get a snack or something like that. It's, it's late at night, and we get our second vision of the alien who kind yeah. of shows up outside the window of the kitchen. And I thought this was a great little scene. You know, she has no, she has no idea the alien's there, and it's just kind of standing in the window watching her as she's pacing around, getting a drink and getting a snack. And then she just kind of walks out, shuts the kitchen window, shuts the kitchen light off, and walks out the door and. I just thought it was a really f- nice, like a really well done sequence of events. And then my next note is when the alien turns around to walk away, Jeff's not hiding that well. No. Like, I'm thinking to myself, like, does the alien just not have peripheral vision? Because there's no way that anyone wouldn't have seen Jeff just literally standing in, you know, he was supposedly in the dark, but he was very well lit in this moment. Yeah. Uh, well, that the peripheral vision thing, that maybe that's what it is. Because I noticed this earlier, too, when they interact with the robots. The robots don't seem to give a shit about the people. Yes. Unless the person directly runs at them. Yep. Like like uh, Vi did earlier. Otherwise, they just kind of let him be. Um, yeah. It's kind of the impression that I got. So I think that's what's going on. But right before that, there's that weird little bit where Mel comes in from his, his patrol and he's got a big bag of cash. Oh yes, this is that's right. He does this whole speech about how he stole this cash from the bank, and it, it's all worthless now. 
and you know, a few days ago, I would have killed to have this much money and buy a house and, and nice clothes for, for Lorna and for himself and et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, but it's all garbage now. And then he decides to burn it. Um, right. And Quinn, of course, rushes in and grabs the money out of the fireplace. I didn't quite okay. understand the whole point of this scene, but so uh, that's my, there. my next, my next, my next comment was that yes. So Quinn like dives at the fire as he's throwing the money, and he's like, "Why are you throwing this money in the fire? Don't do that!" And then like everything stops, the music swells, and like zooms in on Quinn, who's looking suspicious as he's taking this money. But they never explain no. like why Quinn is like so obsessive about getting this money out of the fire. Like they never see, we never see him want to use it, or we never it's never explained why he tries to get that money out it was just a very strange scene because we then go to the next moment and yeah. it, this this whole moment is dropped yeah i also thought it was odd that they've just assumed that the money's worthless um right. things are clearly really bad right now right but we at this point they don't know really that things are all that bad outside of this village exactly um you know uh tv reception is bad but and they can't get anybody on the radio but still you know, it could be in like half an hour, the British army is going to show up and yeah. tell them everything's fine. But so they, they went immediately from, I see a robot to the world has ended already. Yes. And we're the last people on earth. So yes, exactly. It was just a weird little scene. But then after it that was. is this great scene that you described uh, with Lorna and the robot watching her. I, th- I thought the tension was good. Uh, it was creepy. I really liked that. Yeah, so, me too. Absolutely. Is this is this so this neck is this the next scene? And again, my notes may have jumped, but is is the next scene in the movie when we when we get the we get the first glimpse of um, what it looks like when one of these aliens kind of touches a person and they now we we see we see what they look like when they're fully infected. Is this the next scene? Yeah. So the robot walks away sometime later. Quinn, I guess, decides he's going to leave. And he goes to the fridge. It looks like maybe he's packing up a, a sack lunch, you know? Sure. Of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, as you do. As you do. Uh, <laughs> and then right after that, we're up in the bedroom where they've stowed uh, Vivian and she comes back to life. And yes. she's a zombie. This weird yes. kind of, they describe later, they say like her eyes are blobs. But on yeah. screen, it looks like, you know, they're just all white. Yep. Uh, no pupils or anything. And she's moving real slow. She's not really doing the stereotypical arms outstretched moaning zombie thing but no that's the closest comparison i suppose yeah um, i would i would imagine it's more it's 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 very much like like a zombie you know you, you, they're just rising these zombies are rising up but they're not like your typical you know because again this movie what, what year did you say this release bill 64 so this movie predates night of the living dead by four five three four years because wasn't that sure. like 68 okay I think so. I mean, this predates it. So we didn't actually have any idea at this point, like zombies hadn't made the mainstream. So like, I, I would imagine for the first time seeing something like this, where a dead person has now risen and is like silently walking down the stairs and that moment of Violet coming down the stairs, like half in the shadow, just silently coming down and Quinn doesn't notice it yet. It was just, again, really well shot, really well done. And it was these, like these moments that just sold yeah. this little movie for me. That is a good point. I hadn't thought about the, uh, you know, the fact that zombies as a thing, as a cultural thing, really weren't a thing. Yet. Right. That's a good point. Uh, so I, I have to give extra points, I guess, to this movie. Absolutely. Uh, just for that. But she doesn't last long because Quinn shoots her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, we find out that the undead apparently are 
are not invincible are not uh, invincible uh, do not are not bulletproof no um edgar otis loses his stuff because basically he sees vi die again <laughs> i know uh, poor buddy <laughs> yeah he's had, a rough, he's had a rough go <laughs> nolan uh, so no uh, otis is is dealing with his his dead wife are they married i, I don't know I think they, I believe they're married. Yes. Again, okay. very, mu- very muddy, but I think they yeah. were married. So his wife has died again. Somehow in my notes say that Quinn punches him. I don't remember why, but. Um, you know, well, you know what Greg and I always say on the Knight Rider years, right? It, it, it doesn't matter, Bill. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it doesn't so then matter. Nolan, Nolan punches Quinn uh, for this. And they've all decided, okay, we, we, we don't just have robots. Now we've got zombies. We got to get out of here. Right. It's about an hour until daybreak, evidently. They decide they're going to all get in their cars and going to drive south. I don't know why they yep. keep saying they have to go south. I'm not sure what, 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 are they, what they think they're going to find south, but the whole movie is yeah. they got to get south. So Nolan's like, okay, get your stuff together. You got about an hour till morning. I'll finish, uh, you know, I'll finish the watch, and then we'll leave. Yep. He goes out to do that. Quinn is sneaking around, bashes him over the head, Nolan over the head, knocks him out, goes and gets Peggy. Yeah, we got to go. Again, we don't know why. We don't know what control he has over her. But she goes. They drive away. Uh, they stop for gas, which is nice. I guess. Yeah, this, um, I guess it was fine. But like, it was again one of these just highly unnecessary scenes to get to the next part of the uh, to get to the next part of the movie. I just it didn't make a lot of. He just stops to get gas and says, "Don't get out of the car." And of course, you know, he goes and he went and he goes to put the gas yeah. pump away, and she just runs. Of course, she yeah. does. Of course she does, because what, what else is she going to do? Right. My notes here remind me as I'm watching the movie, one thing, one detail I like that they did in the movie is every once in a while when they're out on the street, you would see a dead person. Yes. Just to reinforce the idea that there are a lot of people around and they're all dead. So yeah. uh, I did like that. I thought that was a nice a nice touch, directorial touch. or yeah. I don't know if that would, that would that come into the props department or who. <laughs> I, who I guess. In, who was in charge of staging the body? I don't know. It was just it was a nice know. touch. But, you know, they didn't have a lot of money to make this movie, but they had people, apparently. Yes. It probably was like somebody's neighbor, and they're like, hey, you want to be in a movie? Just come lay down in the street for a day, and uh, right. you can be in this movie. So, we'll, give you, we'll give you a hot dog from the... Yeah. From the it'll, you'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, they... Uh, uh, what happens? They go... So oh, she, Peggy, Peggy runs away, but, and she's immediately back to the hotel right yeah well okay thank you so did is so they he he le- so quinn and peggy leave we assume they've driven for a little while because he stops to get gas but doesn't she she runs back into the hotel right yeah, yeah. okay like instantly i couldn't figure out they couldn't have gone half a block no <laughs> while all this was going down so uh, yeah that's exactly what happened okay good i'm glad i'm glad yeah. we're on the same page because it really was like wait Okay, because then she gets, then she starts getting terrorized because all, yeah. all these dead people start coming up and like and slowly following her into the hotel. This is a great sequence too. Yes. Um, so she's freaked out. She runs upstairs, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. She's freaking out. She's trying to hide. I think by this point the robots have showed up too, right? Uh, um, have they shown up yet? I can't remember oh. if they do or not. I, I they might have at this point. I know they they show up in a few minutes here, but um, the, again. This yeah. was another great scene. Like she goes into the closet and one of yep. the guy, one of the zombie men like walks in and just you see that frame shot of from her perspective in the closet 
yeah. just watching this guy stand there silently, no breathing, no nothing. Yep. And then he just turns around and leaves. And it's just such a beautifully paced scene. I loved it. Really good. Uh, I did like that a lot. She finally decides it's safe. Uh, she head starts heading back downstairs. But the robots and the zombies are outside, too. Right. Cornered. About this time, Nolan, he had taken off er- earlier to go find where Quinn and, and Petty went. Um, now he's coming back, and he sees Petty cornered by these uh, uh, by the bad guys, and he immediately plows down one of the robots with his truck. Oh, was, I loved this moment. It just like <laughs> came out of nowhere, and he just obliterates this thing right in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly what he does. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say, because this is when we find out that the aliens aren't typical aliens in, in the way that we see them. And they're actually like the entire inside of these things are uh, machines. Yeah, uh, it, it is literally a robot. It is not, there's no, there's no uh, organic element in there, apparently. Right. So they go, they go back to the drill hall. Right, because I think yeah. everyone's back there, right? It's, it's yeah. everyone, yeah, yeah. I didn't remember when they said we're going to go to the drill hall, but I, I guess they must have. Um, I, yeah, maybe they they cut it out of the out of the out of the, the first draft. Maybe, I, yeah, I don't know. But they've got bigger problems now because Lorna is about to have her baby. You know, it's almost like they wrote this pregnancy into the script because they were going to use it later at <laughs> <laughs> the end of the movie. You know, yeah, I don't weird, know. Huh? Just seemed like one of those plot conveniences, but whatever. You know, because <laughs> whatever the labor. <laughs> so. So uh, the men are sent off to collect baby supplies, except for Nolan. He has to stay. Apparently, he knows how to deliver babies because Peggy's like, well, you better come in with me and, and do this. And Nolan's like, okay, I guess I will. And uh, I guess we're going to have to learn really fast how to deliver this baby. Okay, yeah. let's do it. So they send the father, because this was the 60s, so the father can't be there. So they send right. the father and Otis off to get supplies. Right. Uh, and then they come back. We get the... Uh, the typical scene in any any movie where there's a baby being born, the father sitting out in the waiting room, yes, waiting for the baby to be born. Yeah, uh, baby comes. Apparently, it's a perfect complication free delivery in this oh, yeah. by two people who don't know how to deliver a baby. Yep, no, no blood, nope. nothing. It was just she's she's I didn't clean. Yeah, at one point Peggy comes out with an apron, and yeah, it's perfectly clean. Of course, it is. There's nothing going on there, so. <laughs> uh, Edgar Otis gets himself drunk again. Yep. Nolan tries the radio again for some reason. And um, this, yeah, this is the point where they find out that it may be that there's something controlling the robots, right? Yeah. Is this the moment? Yep. So they're figuring out, and I didn't totally understand how they were doing this, but they figured out that, that there must be a transmitter controlling the robots. And if they yes. can destroy the transmitter, they can stop the robots is the idea. Yes. So there's this whole sequence of Mel, who, who apparently is nice now. And is getting along with everybody, yeah. Because uh, Nolan takes him with to uh, to go do all this triangulation stuff. I don't know yeah. how it works, but yeah. Basically, they figure out where the transmitter is. Right, right. And I just it was a great montage. Like you know, he's just pointing at the map, and then he draws a line with the ruler, and then yeah. he points out this way, and he does another line, and he says, "Well, okay, I guess uh, I guess the transmitter is going to be down that road right there south." <laughs> yeah, it looked to me just like a radio tower. Um, I think that yeah, absolutely. Like for the local radio station, but evidently this is the aliens' transmitter. Peggy though calls them on the phone and says robots are here because the robots have showed up at the drill hall. 
Right. Uh, so right. now it's getting very tense because mm-hmm. we got robots at the drill hall. We got robots have found Nolan out at the transmitter. Oh my God, what's going to happen? So yeah, they decide, I guess they make the decision. We're not going to run back to the drill hall. We're going to finish what we're doing here. And they decide to blow up the transmitter. Yep. As the robot is approaching them, apparently not concerned about this at all because the robot really doesn't do anything except watch. Just right. <laughs> um, uh, but they do. They blow up the transmitter with, uh, I guess, some dynamite or whatever. Yeah, I think it was dynamite. But yeah, I, I think it's great because this is such a classic trope. We see that we see this a lot in 80s TV. Like you have this, they're trying, they're rushing to do something. But when you really boil it down and think about the fact that the robots are going after Lorna and the baby and Peggy and they're going after Mel and, and Jeff, you realize the timing doesn't work out because in no way <laughs> had they really blown up that tower when they had like those robots would have 100% gotten to Peggy and oh, the baby yeah. and Lauren and, and the same thing with the robot out by the tower. But instead, you know, just the way that the time works in the movie, which is ironic because the movie's only an hour long, but yeah, it's weird, know. huh? <laughs> the robot that Peggy and Lorna and the baby and the robot are all literally in the same room in this right. small room, almost standing over each other. But like you said, they slow everything down so that uh, they don't get killed. Right. Exactly. Um, they blow up the transmitter. Robots immediately collapse, just dead. Um, yep. Of course, Nolan was correct. You destroy the transmitter, that stops the robots. Right. Meanwhile, though, uh, one of the dead townsfolk now is going after. Or it's Quinn, right? He's a zombie now. Is that? Yeah. We don't. Do we? When does that happen? Do well, I? I don't, I don't remember actually, that moment. I don't think we see it happen, and it confused me because he looked a little bit like the zombie that was chasing Peggy earlier that wasn't him. Right. Yes. So I was very, I was frankly, I was a little confused for a while. Like, okay, is that Quinn? Is that not Quinn? I, I don't know. So, but it was evidently, uh, he's about to, to, okay. uh, All right. kill Lorna and Peggy, I think. And then Otis shows up and blows him away. Right. And he clearly knows how to handle a gun while drunk. I got to give him credit for it. <laughs> yeah. When he was sober, he's like, Oh, I don't know how to handle this. And, but yeah, drug. Right. Evidently, he's he's a good shot because he takes him down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, everybody's saved. Evidently, all the robots and all the zombies are dead. Right. Evidently, and the movie's about to end. And Nolan's like, "Okay, we're gonna go get in a plane, and we're gonna fly south. And if anybody's still alive, they're gonna see us flying overhead, and they're gonna follow us." Yep. That's it. End of the movie. And right, credits roll as the plane takes off, and that's that's how we close the movie out. And again, very very abrupt. Obviously, I remember lo- I was looking at the clock of I was looking at the timer at the time when they had they were setting up the bomb to blow up the tower. And I'm like, okay, this is like 59 minutes, and there's only three minutes left of the movie. Like, where are we? Go-? But they just they really just like rapid fire, just like ended the movie pretty nicely. Yeah, I feel like maybe there was supposed to be more of the movie, but they ran out of money, and yeah, they're like, uh, okay, we'll just end it here. Yeah, so I I looked it up to try to find. I couldn't find a budget for the movie. I was just okay. curious to know. I couldn't find anything about budget, so I don't know. I mean, it, I, it feels like it would have been a shoestring budget because not. I mean, it was really just relegated to like maybe one and a half locations over the course of the movie. Yeah, it seems that way. And I have not, as we're recording here, I haven't done my research either, so I, I don't know the answer to that either. Yeah, and yeah, so that's the end of the movie. I I like a lot of things about the movie. I don't. Yep. Yeah, it just I guess just the fact that it's it's un it's unfinished. They needed to polish it a little more and maybe spend yep. a little more money. 
Yeah. But, you know, for for that said, for an hour's entertainment, it's not so bad. I I just I really had a lot of fun watching it. I broke it up into two parts. I watched the first half hour on my lunch break and then I watched the second half hour when I got home um this afternoon from work. But I, I really did have fun with it. Again, it was it was it moved at a nice brisk pace, obviously. And there were like you said, there were moments that don't make a whole lot of sense given the runtime. But again, I think the moments of those really those moments that stuck out were the ones we kind of talked about, like the the whole opening sequence, uh, the moment of of, of uh, Lorna in the kitchen with the alien behind her, and these really nice quiet moments over the course of the movie really made up for the fact that it really only did run that hour and two minutes, and and it could have been easily fleshed out. But I, I'll I'd watch this again, hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. I actually, I've watched it twice, actually. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. Well, yeah, I watched it a few days ago and then I thought, well, I'm doing a podcast about it and I'm supposed to know what I'm talking about, I guess. So I should, I'll watch it again because, right. you know, at an hour long, it's not that big of a time investment. No, um, no, absolutely not. And, but yeah, I would certainly throw it on sometime in the future. Yeah, for um, sure. And it's, and I don't know where you watched it, but I watched it on Tubi, so it's free if anyone, yep. if anyone wants to can stream it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's free to watch on Tubi. I, it's, I it's did the same it. thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah so there's no, uh, no real money investment. It's an hour of your life. Uh, and yeah. it's fun. If you're going to really, yeah. it's not hard, serious sci-fi, and there's certainly better examples of it. But if, you, right. if you're okay with, uh, with bad special effects and, and uh, you just want to see fun characters do stuff, yeah, I, I recommend it. Absolutely. Sure. Now, Bill, I have one more. I have one more question for you specifically about about yeah. the Atari, about the Atari game. Yeah. Now, from what I gathered from your episode, I think you. I think this was back in October, maybe end of October. You released this episode. Yes. For the Atari game. Yes. From what I gather, the the Atari game in this movie really only shared the title and yep. not much else. Yep. Okay. All right. Exactly. I, I, Okay, because the move the, the game is all in outer space, and it's just you're you're shooting the aliens in outer space, correct? It's, the game is is your standard Atari game, where yeah, yeah, it's in outer space, shoot the spaceships kind of thing. As I okay. recall from the the uh, sort of half-assed research that I do <laughs> for the podcast, I couldn't find anything that uh, all I could ever find was that no one really knows why they call the game this, other than they must just like the title. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it, there's no connection to this movie at all. Okay. Um, all right. I I didn't think so because I was re- I was I I actually went back and listened to your episode earlier this week just to kind of catch up on it and realize like okay this was a good episode but it yeah. has nothing to do with the movie because it really like just just no there's no common thread except for the title. Having seen the movie, you could make a really good game from oh, this gosh, movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I kind of if I knew how to program, I would sit down and do that. Oh, so, I could see this being a very successful type of like a like a Silent Hill type game, like just a really creepy, quiet, mm-hmm. abandoned village. I think it'd be great. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Well, I'm glad I didn't waste your time watching this movie then. So no, I I really enjoyed it. It was a it was an absolute blast. Loved it. Loved it. Excellent. Well, maybe uh, next time I've got a lame movie like this to watch, I'll invite you back, and you can yeah. uh, you can suffer through another one. Please do. I'm happy to come back. In the meantime, if anyone listening wants to find you on the internets anywhere, how would they do that? Um, so you guys can find us. Uh, we're, we're pretty active mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Instagram is at Knight Rider Years, and Twitter is at Knight Rider Pod. Um, I, am, I am the 100% sole user of the Twitter account. Uh, 
Greg, my co-host, he sometimes jumps on Instagram, but uh, you know, uh, those are the ones we're most active on. You can find us on Facebook. I believe you just have to punch in Night Rider years and we'll pop up there. Uh, and you can, um, that's, those are the best ways I think to find us. And if you want to listen to the show, I know we're at this point when this episode drops, we're actually going to be jumping into Airwolf, but it's the perfect time for you to start in on the show. You'll be learning the show fresh with us. So we would encourage anyone to come on and join us. Absolutely. Well, Dave, thanks again. Absolutely, um, Bill. Thanks for I know having it, me. I know it was a, uh, it was a bit of a struggle to get here today <laughs> to record. I made so, it. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. My pleasure. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Huge thanks to Dave Champa for agreeing to come on the show. You, you should go check out Champa and Klein, the Night Rider years. Uh, they have interesting, uh, entertaining thoughts about all these shows. And uh, it's just a good time. Let's go check them out. Thanks again, Dave. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme, which uh, you didn't hear this week, but is in my notes, so I just said it. Please rise from the dead to stalk over to Apple Podcasts, dodging their soulless robots, to leave a five-star review of this show. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check us out on Instagram. Don't forget, you, you can call us. Just leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978 because I'm never, ever going to answer the phone. But leave a message there about pretty much anything you want, and I'll probably play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. What you're going to find there is information about this show, episode links, that kind of thing, for this show and my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. You're also going to find information about books that I've written, including Hell Serial, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, uh, links to some of the places you can order that book and others. You can find out about other things that I've worked on, all sorts of stuff. Also, uh, you heard from Sean earlier in the show, his comments. He is a patron supporter, and you can be one too. Just go over to the Atari Bytes page on patreon.com and sign up. Depending on what level you're subscribing at, you may get stuff. For example, if you donate uh, two bucks a month, you can get the episodes early. Uh, you don't have to wait till the day they come out. Uh, at three bucks a month, you get that, and you get bonus stuff. Occasionally, uh, I put out extra things that aren't part of the regular show, and you can get access to those at three bucks a month. For example, uh, I put out a video every week of me, usually pretty poorly, playing the game for that week. Uh, obviously, I don't have that this week. I'm not sure what the bonus thing will be this week, because there's no video from a game, because we didn't play a game this week, but I'll probably think of something. At four bucks a month, you get all that stuff, plus you can help program the show, suggest some games for me to play. And, uh, and I'll do it on the show and make stories out of them. So, you know, thanks to current patrons, Michael Tyler, Jose Caseda, Sean Courtney, Aerospike, M. West, Jim Goebel, and Patrick McCarthy. You guys are awesome, but I think you need some adult supervision. So I would like other people to sign up and keep an eye on you guys. All right. That's about it for Atari Bytes for 2020. 
all that's left is to tell you what's happening next time on Atari Bytes. We're kicking off 2021 with an episode brought to you in part by patron supporter Patrick McCarthy. He suggested a game, and we're going to try it out next week. It's called Dragonfire. I don't know if that's actually how you have to say the name. Uh, kind of like, the earth dies screaming. But it feels like that's how you should say Dragonfire to me. Don't know what this game is, but I'm going to check it out next week and write a story inspired by it. And uh, and that's a thing we're going to do. So thanks, Patrick. Or it may turn out that I harbor great uh, ill will towards you, Patrick, depending on what this game is like. So uh, we'll find out next week. So everybody have a safe and happy new year. And I will see you in 2021. And until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.